Hello, Just Story listeners. Today we're talking with Meta Dunn, who tells of her own story and how it's impacting the story of many others. Meta's life call is in helping individuals and organizations to heal and transform. She's incredibly open and authentic. She's life experiences that have sent her around the globe and have now landed her in Hawaii, doing what she does through surfing. So come and listen in. Surf's up. Hello and welcome to Just Stories. We share inspiring stories of real people leading lives impacted by social justice, advocacy, and service. Here, how our guests have used their experiences to make a difference in the lives of others. And remember, it's all about the story, theirs and yours. Just Stories. Hey, Cheryl. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Uh, I'm doing well. You and I are hosting Meta Done today, and uh, um, I'm excited about that. Um, but uh, otherwise, I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Things are going along. Little, little uh, busy at work, but we're getting ready to flip our work sites amongst construction going on in two weeks. So that'll be exciting to have happen. Yeah. How about you? How are things going with you? Your job, your your new endeavors. Well, I have I'm finally uh, finding a little bit more work life balance, which is good. I've been uh, um, working a full time gig and at the same time opening up my own practice. And I'm not sure if I've mentioned that, that to our, our um, just story listeners or not. But uh, so that uh, that has turned into a pretty much half and half now. So rather than working full time and additionally half time, I'm just half and half right now, which is a really nice work, nice work-life balance for me. Um, it makes it just a kind of a pleasure to come and be able to talk to Meta today and you and um, have a little bit more uh, freedom in my life. And uh, I actually plan a couple of little trips that are coming up. And so it feels, it feels good. And it feels good to be um, uh, that the, the new practice is starting off well too. So. Yay. Well, that's wonderful. Work-life balance is important and that's what's going to keep you in the gig for a long time. So, uh, yeah, you're right. And there are times in life that uh, we need to have the foot on the pedal. Um, but if those times start getting extended too long, then there could be trouble. There could be, um, health and wellness difficulties. There could be internal tumultuous times. And, uh, actually our guest might have something to say about that today too, because she's all about health and wellness. Um, Ooh, well, can you tell me more about our guest? I sure can. I'd love to. Uh, so Maida Dunn is, um, she's first and foremost, a friend of my wife's. Um, that's not really first and foremost, but she's, she's a connection here because she's a runner and my wife is a runner and, um, and my wife basically got us two together. Uh, so uh, thank you to Emily for that. Um, but she's a passionate leader in health and wellness, as I had mentioned. She's devoted to the transformative power of healing. She's an author, transformational wellness coach, an international orator, and a dedicated single mother of two young adults. Uh, she served around the globe, combining expert knowledge with her own life experiences, creating spaces for individual and collective healing and transformation. Um, so Maida has degrees from uh, the University of Illinois in social work and a master's in urban planning and policy as well as a master's of ministry from Covenant Theological Seminary. So she's well-educated, um, but if that's not enough, she's also uh, 
a trained group exercise instructor and wellness coach. And she speaks fluent Spanish as well. So that's a little bit about Meta. I could spend the, the better half of this episode sharing Meta's CV. Um, she's just done so much, Cheryl. Um, but I will mention a, a couple of areas that we'll touch on today. Um, I think she, she'll be talking about her many years traveling to Cuba, working in the areas of sustainable agriculture and education. But she's currently uh, the executive director of Surfrider Spirit Sessions. Yes, you heard correctly, that's surf, as in surfboard or surf's up, dude. <laughs> so she's, oh my gosh, she's got the surf me. thing going in Hawaii now. Um, so Meta, it is just such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. It is an absolute honor and privilege to be here and a pleasure to be here with you guys. Um, and, you know, it's always like intimidating to hear my bio. I'm like, who are you talking about? Because <laughs> I just feel like I'm just, I'm just Meta, right? Um, but, but thank you for having me here today. Yeah, welcome. We're so excited to hear a little bit more about you. Um, I likewise am a runner. And so yeah, I feel the connection already. So that's exciting. Uh, but, but I'm, I'm not a surfer. And you're in Hawaii running a surfing ministry. I, I feel there's got to be a story behind that. Um, there absolutely is a story. And I love how you just said I'm not a surfer because how this evolved, um, there was a moment in the process, and I'll get to that a little bit more, where um, it was stated that, um, hey, I've got this person here with me, and she's a surfer. And I remember thinking, like, uh, I had been out, and it was my dad's cousin, right? I'd come to Honolulu literally for a day and a half to visit them, right? I was actually in Hawaii. I was on the big island and I was only supposed to travel to the big island for a four day vacation to sort of be like this line in the sand of you've been doing this one thing for a period of time. You're now going to move back into sort of where your heart and passion is now that COVID is shifting. Right. And so go, cause it's one of the four States you hadn't been to. So go to Hawaii, enjoy your time and then go back and live life. Like you were planning. Right. And um, I, I reached out to my dad's cousin. I said, Hey, I'm going to be in Hawaii in quotes, right? Can I come there? Let's, let's get together. And he's like, well, you're on the big Island. I'm in Honolulu, two different islands. I'm like, Oh, come on. Relatively speaking, right. You know, <laughs> The ignorance of us mainlanders. <laughs> and so anyway, so I said, well, you know what, I could probably finagle my schedule and come for a, a day and a half to visit you. So I'd come out. Um, and, um, I, Full, the one full day that I had here, kind of spent the morning driving around the island while he was working. And then afterwards, I got back to my hotel, showered up, and I missed his call. So I got back on the phone with him. And he said, hey, you know, what are you doing? I said, oh, I just showered. I was going to give you a call. He says, oh, I was going to go surfing. But you're showered up. I'm sure you're not interested in joining. And I said, time out. I know I can't surf yet, but I've been wanting to since high school, right? So, of course, five minutes later, here I am down there like, all right, let's do this. You know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to go. And um, sort of ish, got up a little, fell a lot, right? And then we paddled in and as we were talking after all these years of really not connecting, he was listening to my background and I had a lot of years of social work experience. I actually just finished or was in the process at that time, a yoga teacher training to work um, and do yoga within prisons and, um, you know, and all this kind of international experience. And I had this interest and desire in surfing. And he just had this light bulb moment and said, Hey, 
wait a minute, I'm on the board of the small nonprofit and we do mentoring through surfing for at-risk youth. Would you be interested in applying? And my first response was, sure, I'd look into it. And literally, like he looked at me like surprised. And then I looked internally at myself was like, don't you remember what you just journaled this morning? And what I journaled that morning was, okay, when this is done, uh, you're going to go back and finish. I had been doing some audit and you're going to finish the audit because I got postponed. You're going to finish your audit. You're going to go back to Atlanta for a month, wrap everything up. And then you're Cuba, Croatia, India, um, and Kenya, and then do the circuit again, right? That was my plan in February, the very beginning of February, right? And then he proposed like, would you be interested in running this small nonprofit? And like I said, it literally, I know it was out of my spirit. I was just like, sure. And when he said, really, I said, uh, uh, then, you know, my head took over and I said, I mean, it's worth a conversation. No, like, sure. Anybody could talk about it, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll see what it's about. Right. And so do we get back to his house and sure enough, he starts making phone calls. And of course that's one of the phone calls. I've got my cousin here and uh, she's a surfer. I think she'd be perfect for the, for the position. I'm like, um, I am from the Midwest, but I know enough to know that that's not your thing, you know? <laughs> But you know what, once we started on the phone calls, it was very evident and clear that it didn't matter what I thought was going to be my next step. And, you know, I'd literally like laid down my life to say, you know, God, here I am. I'm, you know, living out your purpose. And I had been on a daily basis for multiple years. Right. And thought that like, here, things are opening up over here. This is the head the direction we're headed. And he said, no, just kidding. You know, we're going to do an about face and you're coming back to Hawaii. So sure enough, three interviews and in person and before the next day at noon. Um, and then a phone call on the plane setting up to meet with the board by that. So that was on a Wednesday, Friday meeting with the board and Sunday. I got the offer and three weeks later I was back in Hawaii and literally the next day at our annual fundraiser and jumping right into programming. So, so it's a little bit about how I got here, completely unexpected and, you know, wasn't looking, uh, never planned, uh, but incredibly grateful, right? And I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, irrespective of the plans that I had that I know are still there at some point in the future, um, this is where I'm supposed to be right now in this very moment. That's spectacular. That's, that's, that's really neat to hear. You're working with youth there, right? What's the, what's the programming uh, like for the youth? Yeah, for sure. So, so the nonprofit that we work with, I work with is um, Surfrider Spirit Sessions, and we work with uh, at-risk youth ages 13 to 18 doing mentoring through surfing. The organization actually started Hawaii back in, I think it was that 2006, had actually started the first girls court. So they started noticing that there were a lot of girls starting to come through the system. And um, so they wanted to have a special courts designed specifically for them. But then the judge who was over the girls court, who started girls court realized, you know, the thing is we've got these girls coming through the system and there's nothing out there to show them anything different. How do we expect a change in their life if there's nothing to show them what change looks like. And so that's really where the, the birth of the idea for Surfrider Spirit Sessions came from. And um, so now we have, um, we actually work with boys and girls and we extend to not just adjudicated youth and youth coming through the court system, but really any at-risk youth um, ages 13 through 18. And so we do sessions three times throughout the year. 
and um, Saturday mornings, we get together for four hours and, uh, you know, it's a beautiful time together where we just build community mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of start off with an opening pule, right, or a blessing and then do some talk story and do a life lesson, right? It's based on a, a book. It's kind of one of those photographic coffee table books, right? Life Lessons of Surfing um, that our second founder had actually written before the start of this organization, just you know, really woke up in the middle of the night and said, I need to write this book, not knowing that it was gonna be the birth of this organization, mm-hmm. right? So we, every week we take one of those life lessons and then we talk about it. And then we you know, spend a little bit of time with the lifeguards doing some water and ocean safety. And then we get the kids in the water. You know, with mentors, we pair them up with a mentor, they get on those boards and, and it's just amazing. I mean, I, I have seen in just the short period of time that I've been here, the amount of transformation that happens in just one session, in one hour in that water is incredible. Um, you know, doing the work that I've done for so many years, sometimes like what we can accomplish in just one session takes six to eight to 12 weeks, you know, in a more traditional sort of therapeutic model. And we're not even a, an official therapeutic model, right? But it's incredible. And I, I was sitting last Saturday, two Saturdays ago, I'm sorry, um, as we started our summer session, speaking with a mom of a youth who's very, very low functioning autistic. And she's really struggling. She's a single mom. And she's, she's, I'm at a loss. Like, I'm not even sure how to help him at this point. You know, he's really challenging to work with. And I just looked at her and, you know, created that space for her to just open up and share, but then reminded her of, you know, oftentimes we as humans and as individuals forsake the healing power of nature and especially the healing power of the water. And I said, you know, that there are going to be lessons. There's going to be things that neither you nor myself nor our amazing mentors or anybody else will ever be able to say that that water can teach them. Right. And so it's just this beautiful place for healing and transformation, not just in the lives of the kids, but our mentors and the families as well. Thank you. And you just used the phrase healing and transformation. And I've, I've been hearing that phrase a lot from you as we've talked. And um, as many of our guests, um, there's always a backstory. You know, there's always the things that shaped the individual that um, may kind of made of who she is. And I wonder if you would be willing to share us with us a little bit about your, your past and some of the, the um, influences, uh, some of the events that maybe helped shape you and how, how God has used those um, to um, empower you towards ministries of healing and transformation. Sure. Sure. Well, and, you know, especially too, I think that's the other reason, like kind of when I hear that the bio, which is all true, you know, what I mean, uh, it's none of it's fabricated. Right. But when I sort of listen to that bio and when people see me, right. Um, you know, uh, and kind of knowing, I mean, I grew up, both of my parents were still married. Um, they've recently in the last five years divorced, but they were married throughout my childhood. You know, we didn't have a lot, but you know, we had a roof over our head. We owned a house, right. We lived in, you know, middle-class suburban places. We moved a lot growing up. Right. But I had, you know, two parents, there was four of us kids and a fairly healthy, you know, family, no dynamics that seemed like they, you know, should have sort of rocked the boat. Right. But the reality is like depression is something that mm, I don't even want to say lingers, but it is like a full blown force in our family that doesn't get talked about. Right. And so I struggled a lot with depression growing up as a teenager. And that really led me into certain choices 
right? Because of my lack of self-esteem and the struggles that I faced and feeling very different. Um, so I then started making some unhealthy choices and um, some poor relationship choices that had me at the age of 18 pregnant um, with my first child and then at 21 pregnant with a second child and both of them were different fathers. And the fathers had come from very, very broken homes, um, inner city communities, and both are, um, you know, of different racial and ethnic backgrounds, right? So growing up in the late 90s, you know, have being a single mom of two mixed children um, in suburbia, Chicagoland area, it was not an easy thing. Um, and, uh, but you know what, I continued to, to press on and move forward and hide actually a lot of the struggles that I was facing. You know, one of the relationships was abusive, more uh, mental than physical. Um, and then there were for my children, just the loss of their fathers. My first child's father disappeared and, you know, was gone for, you know, their entire childhood. And the second child, um, their father was in and out, which is in some ways so much more detrimental, right? Because I always say, it's kind of like when you've got a wound, if you just let it go, it's gonna heal. It might scar, but it normally heals up fairly well. But if you keep picking up at that wounds, right? Those scars become much more noticeable and sometimes it never even fully heals. And that's really what happened with my second child. So in addition to the struggles that I was personally facing, my children were also struggling. Um, and so, I went through a period um, with my second child um, of a lot of difficulties. That child especially really struggled with um, mental health and some dual diagnoses. And so throughout high school, um, it was a battle. Um, and it actually, I had worked for 15 years in social services, working really, really hard to keep people out of systems like the juvenile justice system and places like that. And yet I found uh, myself um, and my family slipping into some of the situations. And so I stepped out of social services so that I could be able to support my family a lot more. Um, and yet still I ended up in situations that, you know, again, I fought so hard to keep so many other kids and families out of. Um, and so for me, it was really, really challenging because it made me feel like I was an even bigger failure. So in, irrespective, right, of all of the degrees and accolades, I still felt like a complete failure. And I felt like I broke people. And so I had, before even kind of that feeling, right, I knew that it was time for me to step out of social services. And so I stepped into a, a different role and I was you know, doing leadership and management in a small family owned business. And so for the last 12 years, that's really the work that I was doing. You know, I still was able to have, find a love and a passion for it. Um, did feel like at some point my life was gonna kind of put me back into working more directly with people, but never with youth again, I'll be honest with you, because again, I was really left hurting because of the situation that happened with my children, especially my, my youngest child. And again, feeling as though like, hey, you know what, I can work with people, but I break kids and so I better not step into that realm again. So may that, there's a, there's a verse that you hold close to you or a chapter in the Bible that you hold close to you that um, from what I understand uh, really impacted you and impacted you moving forward. Can you tell us about that? Sure. And I always get a little teary eyed just because, I mean, it is obviously so personal and yet it is also so incredibly beautiful as well. Um, and that is John chapter 21. And John chapter 21 is that beautiful conversation between Jesus and Peter after Peter's risen. 
So if you remember a couple of chapters before, right? John said to Peter, I'm sorry, John said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I'll go with you even unto death, right? And Jesus is like, hey, Peter, you're about to deny me. And he's like, no way, I will never do that, right? He was so sure of his calling and his purpose and his love, right? His agape love for Jesus that he was committed to death. And yet, you know, three chapters later, he sat and he denied him three times, right? And then Peter, like no longer felt like a disciple, right? Because if we remember, I think it's in John chapter 20, when Jesus said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I have risen, right? Peter was just like, he had to be called out specifically because he's like, I have betrayed. I am not who I said I was and I can never love, right? And I can never do justice to to Jesus and to this calling and to this, you know, this purpose and this ministry. And yet here was Jesus there at the shore with Peter. And he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Now, if you don't know that scripture, like from its original text, you don't get the full beauty and breadth of what he's saying. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you agape love me? Do you love me with your heart, soul, mind, with everything inside of you? And Peter's response was, you know what, Jesus, I fail you, love you. I love you like a brother, right? And what he was basically saying was, I told you three chapters ago that I agape loved you. And I realized that I couldn't. And I can't make that mistake again. I don't ever want to disappoint you or anybody else. And I realize that I only fail you, love you. And Jesus says to him, go feed my sheep, right? And then he asks them again, Peter, do you agape? Do you fully wholeheartedly love me? Hoping, and again, this is sort of my interpretation, but hoping that Peter would say, now that you know that I recognize that you feel like you've fallen short, but I'm still telling you to go do the ministry, maybe this will change your heart, Peter. And maybe you'll now be able to realize how much I love you and how much I'm willing to give you that grace and forgiveness and mercy and everything that I'm standing for and that you deserve because that's who I said I am, right? And yet Peter's response to him was like, sorry, I still only fail you, love you. And, you know, and, and, and what does Jesus say? Go feed my lambs. So not even just feed like the believers, but feed the like newborn believers, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, then too, when like Peter just lost it, because Jesus then looked at him that third time. And this for me is what also kind of broke my heart, right? Is where Jesus then looked at Peter and said, Jesus, I'm sorry. Peter, do you brotherly love me? I mean, take that in, right? Like Jesus now has come down to Peter's level. No more am I asking if you have the ability to love me with everything. Do you love me just like a brother? Right? And so for Peter, like, I mean, that is like both like so incredibly filling with love and so incredibly filled with shame, right? He had to come down to my level and yet he came down to my level, right? And that's what Jesus does for each and every single one of us is that when we think that we are at our lowest, then that we could never be loved. He still says, even if you can't love me, like I want you to love me and that I wish that you could love me, I can still come to your place and I can be with you. Oh, and by the way, Peter, go feed my sheep and still go do my ministry. Right. And so here I am like preparing for this time to go speak to these people in Cuba, wrestling with my own, like, Hey, I've been walking this purpose filled journey. I've always been a person of purpose. I mean, 
at 16, I walked, I grew up Catholic and at 16, I walked away from the church because I looked and I saw so much hypocrisy. And I said, if that's what God is, I want nothing to do with him. Right. And so for several years, hence the, the two children before 21, never married two different fathers. Right. Because I said, no way, I don't want anything to do with that. And I think that there's something else in life that's better. Right. But at the age of 21, the Lord really showed me like, Hey, look, like, you know what we, you as human beings are totally fallible. Even those people with the greatest hearts like Peter, right. We can fail, but God never fails. Right. And so at, you know, after my, my second child was born, you know, it took maybe about two to seven, my second child was about seven or eight months old. And um, that's really when I had this personal encounter with, with the Lord and started walking. But even before that, even in all of my messiness and ugliness, I was still always very purpose driven. Right. And so even when we're walking this purpose driven life, sometimes, you know, in our life, we, we, fall off, right? And our faith becomes stale. And we feel like, hey, I was doing all this stuff that I thought that I was supposed to be doing. And here I am broken and my family is broken and we're hurting and I'm just, you know, worthless. And yet God is saying, hey, but this is the exact moment that I am right here with you. So yes, that, that chapter 21 and those verses right there are just incredibly powerful and beautiful and really sums up the essence of what our faith should be, right, is being able to be vulnerable and transparent and say, I'm not worthy. And yet you still call me to move forward. And the coolest thing is, is like, Jesus says, even in your brokenness, Peter, I'm calling you to go forward. So even in our brokenness, we're supposed to move forward. And it is in our own brokenness that as we move forward, our healing comes and that we can be and create greater spaces of healing and transformation for so many others. Because how many times, I don't know about you, but do you see people who seem to have these perfect packaged lives, you know, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like, I can't relate. And like, I know you're saying like, come to Jesus and he's great, but like for you maybe, but not for me, right? And there's too many people out there in the world that have been in these broken, broken places that they can't see you know, they, they can't relate to a Jesus that always looks perfect, but that's never who the Jesus in the Bible is. That's never what Jesus said was and is, right? And so it's really so powerful to recognize how in our broken spaces, that's when God uses us so much more um, profusely and abundantly and in ways that we could never even begin to imagine. Sorry, you got me preaching. <laughs> well, you can see your um, hear your your passion and your enthusiasm and just how it impacted your life just in your voice on that. Thank you for for sharing that. Meta, you know, thank you so much for sharing from your heart and also sharing the word with us. And um, I mean, just for me, um, we can fail but God never fails. That's, that's something you just said. But what you also said was, it doesn't stop there. He entrusts us then. In the midst of our failure, he entrusts us to impact others, to go forward, um, uh, partnering with him and, um, and impacting others. I wonder if you have any stories along the way about um, ways that you've seen others' lives changed. Um, that you've been involved with 
Yeah. I mean, there's so many of them, but um, I'll, I'll share a couple of them. I mean, I think of, so in that, that time, right. In that preparation time of this two and a half days in Cuba, right. I mean, again, my original plan was to be talking about stewarding our bodies. Right. But I realizing that when we don't get at the heart of forgiveness, it's really hard to move past and do anything else. Right. And so we spent a lot of that time really building community, right. And really breaking down walls. Um, and creating spaces for a relationship. I mean, it was really interesting. I had no idea, but after um, one session, actually it was a different session um, that before, kind of a year before, um, I had been in a close area in the Eastern parts of Cuba and um, working with some churches. And they had brought people from multiple churches from, you know, kind of neighboring communities still. I mean, you know, 20 some kilometers away because they were really small communities sometimes. But afterwards, I mean, it was so beautiful to see like everybody just kind of working together, engaging, you know, and just coming together and sharing. And afterwards, the the pastor who was kind of put it together just looked at me and he said, you know, honestly, yes, I know we're the church, you know, and we're from different churches and we're from the same general area. But to be honest, it has, we have struggled getting all of these people together and actually starting to communicate and, and share across churches, right? And so, you know, just that ability to create those connections and break down those walls and barriers, right? Because oftentimes, really what becomes our barrier in life is just that we think that like, there's nothing that we have to relate with somebody else. Um, but when we can find just nuggets of relationship, we realize that we're not as different as we think and that there's something, right, in our, um, our shared unity that will actually help us to move forward, right? Um, but I think of, of then that workshop that I was doing where I was talking about forgiveness and a little, just a really short piece at the end of that workshop, I then got to talking about how we're fueling our bodies and just different, a couple of small little nuggets of um, just minor changes to start making in the foods that you're eating in your movement and self-care, right. And taking time for yourself. And, um, you know, and you, you know, it's not like you go into workshops thinking, well, nobody's going to really pay attention, but you just never know how much people are really going to take and apply into their lives. Right. And especially when you are doing a workshop where you're sort of like there for a short period of time and then you're gone. Right. And then like, when I leave Cuba, like I'm gone, you know, communication is hard. It's, you know, it's not this constant, I mean, it's this uh, occasional random text when they have access, et cetera. So my presence is like really, really gone. And again, with Cuba, it's always, when is the next time you get to go back? Because there's, it's never easy. And so, you know, again, I poured in a very little bit on the, the stewarding your body piece and, um, and left. And then that was, you know, in the summertime, and I came back kind of the next, I think it was February. So maybe eight months later, six to eight months later. And it was amazing to see. I had several people who had been at the original workshop and were back. And you could tell that they lost weight um, and that they actually looked ha happier and healthier. You saw their faces glowing. And it wasn't because all of a sudden, like, the windows of heaven opened up and there was all these resources that poured out to them and they had all this access to all these resources that they never had before I showed up. Like life for the most part actually didn't even just stay the same. It was actually getting worse. Mm. 
right? There were more and more challenges. And it, I'm not to say that, that they lost weight because then like, um, you know, there was nothing to eat because they still had food, right? They had access to food, see, because that is a real reality over there. Um, but, you know, life didn't get better per se, but they did like grab onto those nuggets and those seeds, right? And they allowed the Holy Spirit. And I mean, that's the thing is, you know, the word says that I um, watered or I planted Apollos watered, but it's God that gives the increase. And it was such a tangible demonstration, right, of that scripture of how often like we're our job is to plant sometimes it's to water sometimes we get to actually see the fruit but oftentimes we're just sort of the sowers or the waters the tenders right and we don't always get to see the fruits of it but god is still at work that holy spirit is still at work in their lives and so to be able to see in six months just the little bits the little nuggets that i had sown were making huge transformations in their lives so meta i I heard that you've um, published a book recently called Transforming Your Path. Um, and I'm sure this relates back a lot to what we've already talked about, but I'm anxious to hear a little bit more about it. And also to hear about the dragonfly on the cover. It's such a beautiful piece of artwork. I was looking at the book and um, I found it really calming to the not only the dragonfly, but kind of the water drops and everything that looked like ran through it on the piece I was looking at. Um, so I'm just, I'm interested to hear, hear about your book and maybe how what you've done relates to it. Well, sure. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about it. So yes, yeah, so transforming your path. I, um, I ended up writing that last year, um, kind of between February and I published it in July. And transforming your path is, it's like a book journal, right? Um, you know, again, I believe that each of us were created to be on this earth for a purpose, right? And each of us were given the tools and resources, but at the same time as, and I, I'm a, a big person of imagery, hence we'll definitely talk about the, the dragonfly in the water and the dragonfly on the branch of the tree, right? Um, but, you know, I'm, and I'm a big nature person. So if you read, I have a website and I blog and I blog about barefooting and tree hugging and all kinds of stuff, right? So, um, so I love the metaphor and the imagery of being on a journey, right? And as you think about sort of a, a journey or hiking, it's, you know, we often go with backpacks, right? And those backpacks, typically we fill them with the things that we need depending on the length of our journey and what we think we're going to be confronted with. But then sometimes we actually just keep adding things to our backpack or things get pulled out of our backpack and they get misplaced or they get worn down, right? And we just keep trotting through life without really realizing that our backpack isn't fully serving us anymore. And so it's time sometimes to, we need to really take a pause and really examine what is in our backpack, kind of take it apart and say, you know, what's working, what still serves me, what just needs to be modified or repaired. And what just completely needs to go. And then we can kind of, you know, repack it and keep going on our journey. But if we don't take those times to really look inside of our backpacks, right? And if we've lost our compass and our guide, it's really difficult to move forward. And so, um, so that's really why I put this together. And it is, it's a culmination of both sort of my own healing and transformation process. And it's a, also kind of a, a culmination of a lot of the work that I've done, right? As I began to think, you know, as I've been doing the work and building my programs, 
they've said, oh, I need this and I need this. And so I said, you know, I've got this time, you know, now with COVID and I was still working at my old job. I had left, you know, pre-COVID thinking that I was going to be spending the rest of my time in Cuba and developing these centers and, you know, and that didn't happen. Right. And so I said, well, I've got this time. And so let me put this all together, you know, in, in more of a, a, not in a curriculum. It's definitely, I've got it written as a curriculum, but then I said, well, you know what? this can be more than a curriculum. Like this can become something. So if somebody can't like join one of these programs or be a part of these healing centers, they can still take this as a resource and begin to apply it into their own life. So that really became the spurring of writing this book. And so, you know, it's like each chapter goes through the eight pillars of wellness and, you know, it, it, it gives information, it does some storytelling and then has activities and then some pieces for journaling. Right, to then really go through and look at all of those eight areas of wellness in our own lives and realize what's serving us, what needs shifting, and what needs to be let go so that we can continue on our journeys and we can, you know, then reach the purpose and the destination that we have been put on this earth for. So, you know, Maida, um, Cheryl and I are in a, a church small group together uh, with a few others. And I'm just thinking that sounds like the kind of book that might work well with a small group. Um, yeah with just discussion and the, the concepts of journaling and a little bit more of a um, kind of workbook style as well. So would you, would you say that could be used in that? In that uh, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, one of the things I actually haven't yet gotten to, because again, this sort of turn of events kind of took me by surprise, um, is I actually have this, the book is written, it's all based on biblical principles, but it's written for anybody of any faith and any place in life, right? It's not, doesn't have scripture in it per se, but I also have an outline and scriptures for every single chapter that if somebody wanted to do it in a mm. biblical setting, so that is kind of the next on my agenda when things kind of settle down here a little bit. So, but still it can be taken in a small group, even in a church setting now, but I always think it's so much more powerful we can, when we can actually then apply the word because I feel like, you know, it's, it's when done with the right spirit, right? It just, I don't know, it's, it's incredibly transformative. Like I love doing workshops on health and wellness for anybody, but when I can do them in a biblical context for me, it just, I just feel like we can just go so much deeper. So, yeah. So what oh, yeah. about the dragonfly? The dragonfly, yeah. So, you know, that is one goes back to actually a discussion. It's funny because I thought that it started with a workshop that I was going to do in Havana in uh, June of 2018. But I realized as I was putting that workshop together, it actually went back further, right? So I had actually just gotten this iPad and I was starting to type out like what I was going to share with the women. Right. And I started coming up with this story. It was completely made up and fabricated, but I was trying to think of like, the, it was supposed to be about hearing from the Holy Spirit, hearing from God. Right? And how do you know you've heard from God? And as I'm like looking at my iPad, I'm playing with it. And I just sort of, I'm looking at the different clip art objects. And one of them was a dragonfly and it just sort of caught my attention. So I thought, I'm going to just throw this on my page. And so as I was thinking, well, what kind of story can I invent that leads into this introduction of hearing from God? I created this story. So, you know, I'm going to integrate this dragonfly. And, and so it was about this woman who was a mother and, you know, in the morning she was getting ready and she saw a dragonfly fly by the window. And then somebody at work was wearing a dragonfly. And then her son came home from school and he had a project on dragonflies. You know, and she's like, huh, I wonder what the meaning is. Like, maybe God's trying to tell me something, right? And as I wrote that, again, this is all like in my head, like just making this up. But I remember stopping going, yeah, 
what is the meaning of dragonflies, right? And um, when you actually look at the meaning of a dragonfly, it's about change and transformation, you know, and not just like any kind of change and transformation, but actually like a deep, almost more of a philosophical, like an enlightenment type of transformation, right? And so that dragonfly for me, it was just like, whoa, God, you're trying to say something. And then within the next couple of months, I started noticing how two years prior, when my child was going through the heat and the thick of some of what they were going through, I had actually come across a card that had a dragonfly on it and actually had done the same thing. And I actually wrote, you know, like, here's the definition of a dragon. I completely forgot about it because, you know, when you're in places of such extreme stress, like your memory, right? Like, I didn't even remember this. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this card popped up, right? And I was just like, I remember then encouraging my child and our relationship like talking about the dragonfly and that transformation that I was hoping would happen through everything that we were going through, even though it was really difficult, right? So fast forward, you know, two years later, here I come. And then it was like everywhere I went, I remember being in Cuba and I didn't even know if like they had dragonflies in Cuba because, you know, they don't have in the same insects all over the world always, right? So I remember then asking the pastor, hey, do you guys even have these in your country? And they're like, oh yeah, all the time. And I don't even think it was 20 minutes later, we were in a church and because uh, they were staying in this dormitory in this church in Matanzas. And I looked out, we're on you know, the second floor and there was this window that opened out to the roof and the outside. And there was like 10 dragonflies <laughs> that were just like hovering around the window. And I was just like, do you see that? You know, so every time I see this dragonfly, right? I'm just like, all right, God, what are you speaking to me? There's change coming. It sounds like your made up story about the dragonfly happened to you. It definitely did. It definitely did. Uh, that is really cool. I, I um, really appreciated your story about the backpack and about how we gather stuff. And um, Mark and I both like to go hiking when we're on a vacation. You've mentioned that as well. And uh I was hiking with my husband in Shenandoah, old rag, and uh, it was getting, we were getting really tired and we're going over all these rocks. And my husband had to pull me up on top of this rock and I was laying on my stomach. I could not get up onto my hands and knees. I had this heavy backpack and I'm laying there thinking, why did I bring a deck of cards in my backpack? It's making it so heavy. Like, <laughs> so you, you gave me a great memory of that while you were talking about the story of the backpack. My husband had to help me up again. And I was like, why do I have a deck of cards? In my backpack? I, I was thinking the same thing, Cheryl, with regard to backpacking, because, you know, that's something that Cheryl and I both share a little bit. Um, and uh, with the understanding that um, you're talking about backpack of our life, right? And um, some, there are just times we need to step back. And oftentimes that might take place in a journal or take, takes place with a, a life coach or, or a friend or whoever. Um, but it's, a, it's a, a taking an inventory of, of, of the, the stuff of your life that is making you up and uh, the tools that you have at your disposal that God's given us. So uh, thank you for, for reminding us that we need to take an inventory of our backpacks. And thank you for, for everything that we've talked about over the course of this time. Um, I feel like we could just keep talking. I feel like I'd like to just keep unraveling your life. 
because um, God's God's really had you on quite a journey, Meta, and um, it's it's just neat to hear uh, some portions of it and be uh, inspired by that. And I hope for our listeners that uh, you all feel inspired. Um, sometimes with these wonderful guests that we have on, um, I, I I hope that there's a sense of inspiration that I can do that too. Hey, Meta did that. I can do that. Um, and I can live with purpose and I can live a transformed life um, and not to be intimidated by, by folks, but to, um, to stand up and be inspired and move, move forward into whatever journey that God would have for, for each of us. So thank you for, um, for the stories of inspiration from you today. And thanks so much just for your, you know, your honesty and sharing the, the real struggles and challenges because like you said sometimes people on the outside might might look at you and you know be like oh she's got it all together living in Hawaii and doing these ministries and think you're the one with the perfect life and to share that it wasn't always that way and how those struggles made you stronger and and um changed for you and let you reach out to others is I appreciate the vulnerability and all that you shared with us so Thank you. So thank you guys, because, you know, it's podcasts like Just Stories that give other people hope and inspiration as they continue their journey. And that wraps up this episode of Just Stories. We hope you've enjoyed this time and you'll join us again. Just Stories is a partnership with Our Savior's Lutheran Church, an ELCA member church, where all are welcome and we join in God's reconciling work, which prioritizes disenfranchised, vulnerable, and displaced people in our communities and the world. Your hosts are people of Christian faith, and we recognize that God works through many vehicles, including those of differing faith or of no faith. Our guests may or may not be members of Our Savior's Lutheran Church. If you enjoyed what you heard, tell a friend, and please subscribe. Tune in next time for more of Just Stories.